Welcome to The Workplace, the podcast where we try to make the places we work, places we love to work. I'm Andrew Scarcella. Every episode, we'll be talking with a different expert about what makes great workplace cultures tick. A Navy fighter pilot, an HR analyst, a fashion icon, who knows? Will they have all the answers? Nope. But with each one, we'll get a little closer to figuring out what we can do to build workplace cultures where people are happy, healthy, and inspired to do the best work of their lives. This episode, we'll be talking with Josh Burson about how the HR technology landscape is being reinvented to adapt to new demands and expectations from employees and employers alike. An analyst, author, educator, and thought leader, Josh Burson has focused his expertise on understanding the challenges and trends impacting the global talent market. His lifelong study of the world of work and the talent technology market means he's often cited as one of the leading industry analysts in HR and beyond. Josh was interviewed by Chris Drysdale, a writer and creative director who is wildly overqualified for this job. So what do you think of life in the trenches, Chris? Oh, I don't know if I'd call it the trenches exactly. Um, it was fun. It's really fun to talk to Josh. I agree. So, Josh Burson. It seems pretty obvious why you'd want to talk to him. Well, people outside the HR space might not be as acquainted with Josh Berson, but he's pretty much a rock star in the world of human resources, corporate culture, people strategy, stuff like that. Deloitte bought his firm, Berson Associates, and Josh is a major contributor to their annual Human Capital Trends report that everybody downloads. Um, there's probably only a handful of people in the whole world who get HR issues on the same level as Josh. HR rock star has a pretty cool ring to it, huh? He can pack a stadium. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to hear what you two talked about. Let's get to it. I'm here today with the legendary Josh Burson, principal and founder of Burson Deloitte Consulting. And Josh, you're one of the leading voices in HR tech in the world. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, um, what technologies would you say have had the biggest influence on HR when it comes to workplace culture and environment particularly? I think maybe the simplest, most profound thing that's happened is the way the consumer experience has been moving into HR. If you think back about a decade or two, HR systems were forms. They were literally replicas of paper forms that you typed into. And the reason we bought the software was so we could get rid of the paper. And so for at least a decade, most of the design was, let's make the forms a little easier to use. Let's make the tabs better. Let's make them a little bit more like a, a website. But people still didn't like using them. And then tools like Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Google and YouTube and all these things came in and took over the consumer world. And now the HR technology market is learning from that. So I think it's the consumer experience, including the iPhone and all the all the devices we have that have now impacted the HR technology. And we're in a world now, whereas if the HR tools aren't as easy to use as consumer tools, they won't even get used. They won't use, be used at all by employees. So I think that's the biggest, maybe fundamental thing that's happened. How might that affect tools like employee recognition or, or, or some of the things we do? Well, the context for the flow of work is that most employees today, and lots and lots of data prove this, are too busy already. They're getting lots of emails, they're getting messages on Slack or wherever, they're working at nights, they're working on weekends. And so when the HR department comes up with this magnificent new idea for an employee recognition program or a new goal management system or a training program, 
the employees, we have to get the employees to do it and we need to move them away from what they're doing now to do this new thing. And that means it's an interruption and it's diverting them from the productivity they already are struggling with in their current job. And that used to be okay when we had more time at work, but we don't have as much time now. And so all of these tools have to be so integrated into our workflow that we use them almost without thinking about it. And they appear and they manifest themselves in the systems of engagement and the systems of productivity that we're already using. So they'll get adoption. And that's the theme in the flow of work. In some ways, somebody mentioned to me the other day, well, are you saying that HR needs to disappear? And I don't mean it disappears, but I mean that the applications like recognition and appreciation and so forth have to be so easy to use that they're in normal workplace um, environments. So a lot of vendors are building plugins to Office, to Slack, to, you know, Workday is now manifesting itself through chat bots, interactions through conversations and talking to the system instead of having to type into it. All of these innovations that many of whom are, you know, developed by AI technology are really just bringing the HR functions closer and closer and closer to the human interactions at work so that we don't have to divert our attention to go to HR. I mean, the best example that I was involved in myself was the learning management systems industry, which is a two or $3 billion market of tools that nobody wants to use anymore. I mean, they don't want to use them at all because they're too hard to get to and they're too unwieldy. And so that those software companies are going through a huge amount of re-engineering to be much more workflow-oriented. I want to change gears here a little bit and just talk about a couple of things. One is it's just engagement and, and, and um, sometimes we almost tire of the word a little bit. And it seems like companies have been chasing engagement for a really, really long time with either mixed results or without making much of a difference. And is that because engagement's the wrong goal? Is it because the tools are wrong? What's your take on improving engagement? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the word engagement either. I'm, I'm, I've written and talked about this a lot. And I think the reason it hasn't budged is that the engagement industry, for the most part, has been industrial and organizational psychologists trying to find a surrogate for actual work experience through some form of surveys to diagnose what we used to call discretionary effort, which nobody really cares about. What they really care about is, are you getting work done? Are you collaborating? Are you easy to work with? Are you developing people? Are you contributing to other people's work and your work? That's really what managers care about. Engagement is a, a little bit of an artificial measure. And so we built this giant industry around it. And it goes back, I mean, the, origin, the origins of engagement go back to Freud and Carl Jung when they first studied personalities and how personalities affect your behavior at work. And so if you go back to the Myers-Briggs and a lot of the early employee assessments, it goes way, way back. And we've now reached a point, I think, in the engagement industry where Traditional measures of engagement mean less and less and less. Annual surveys are less and less relevant. In fact, they're almost irrelevant in most companies. And what really matters is your daily, weekly, project-based experiences. And are they giving you a sense of positive energy or a sense of negative energy? If they're giving you a sense of positive energy, you know that and you're going to contribute in more positive ways. If they give you a sense of negative energy, you're going to check out you're going to go home and complain, and you're going to look for another job. But the new world is pulse surveys, check-ins, or frequent conversations 
capturing information about employees' sentiment through behaviors, location, emails, systems, and data. There's analytics now that will look at the mood of an, of a, of an organization. I, I mentioned this morning in the speech I gave that an organization that had a massive fire, an accident, found out that people were complaining about it long, long earlier than the mistake occurred, but no one was listening to them and the data wasn't getting captured. So rather than focusing on these once-a-year engagement surveys to try to hit some target and to get a little bit higher than we were last year, if we can capture all this employee sentiment and make sense of it, we can make all sorts of decisions in a better way. It's very analogous to the way we listen to customers. We may send the customers an annual survey, and we might learn some things from that, which will help us in product planning, but we're not going to know that much about what happened when they talked to a customer service agent, when they opened the box, when they decided to select it. We were constantly instrumenting customers to get more information from them, and I think that's what's going on in HR. We're just probably a decade behind in figuring out how to do that for employees. And we're going to have to sit around and deal with the word engagement for a while yet. And there's engagement groups. There's people whose job titles have engagement in them, benchmarks, all sorts of things that are still going to be out there. Every once in a while, I feel like when I take one of those surveys or when I hear the results back, it feels like, and this may or may not be true, but it doesn't feel like we're asking the right questions. We're asking questions that ferret out what people don't like instead right. of asking what they might love. Yeah, and that's in there, and there is where technology has helped a lot. In the old days, engagement was a benchmarking exercise. So companies would buy questions from their vendor or they would develop questions and they would try to keep them the same every year so they could measure them year over year, which I now realize is silly. The real issue is what's going on right now and what can we do to make it better? And I don't really care what it was like a year ago. It doesn't matter. It's really a question of the real time. And now we also have software that can read text so you almost don't even need to ask questions. There's engagement tools where you can take free text and they're intelligent enough to identify the patterns and the trends of different um, moods and characteristics from the free text. So we don't need to use those formal surveys. So, so I, I agree with you. Some of those surveys, when you look at them, are like, why are they asking this question? And why are they asking that question? You know, one of the companies I've talked to a lot is an airline. And they have a lot of issues with employee engagement and, uh, you know, they sort of treated their employees like labor for a long time and didn't, didn't really empower them. And now they're starting to capture much more real-time information from the employees and they're learning all sorts of things about what happens on the planes. Lo and behold, it's directly correlated to the customer's experience. And so now they're looking at the customer feedback data and the employee feedback data, and they're actually pretty interesting when you match them up against each other. So if we do a better job of capturing this employee data and getting the data from feedback from employees, it's going to give us a better sense of why we have customer problems too, retention or sales issues. So it's it's going to be much more powerful the way it's going than the way it has been in the past. You've consulted with so many companies about how to impact their culture, how to impact HR. And I was curious, thinking about the fact that you ran Bearson Associates for a long time mm -hmm. before and after Deloitte. And how did you personally approach shaping an inspiring culture? for your own business? Well, you know, I was one of these guys that, one of these people that got thrust into leadership by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Happens a lot. Right? And so I ended up having 75 or 80 people working for me while I was also trying to be an analyst and serve the clients directly. And I guess what I learned during that experience before Deloitte 
was that, and people loved working there. We had a really fun company and people just, they loved the work because they loved what we were doing for companies and the value we were providing to all these clients. And they loved the fact that we were doing work that other people weren't doing. It was unique and always focused on, on solutions. We didn't do research for the sake of research, like academic research. We did research for the sake of problem solving. And I think what I learned as a leader, and it turned out I was a better leader than I thought I was because I never felt like I was very good at it, was that I was, a good, I was good at appreciating people. I really appreciated every single person all the time. I knew that they didn't have to work for me or us. I knew they had lots of options. We didn't have a lot of money, so they didn't make, we didn't pay very high. We paid reasonably well, but they worked for us because they liked the team, they liked the work, they liked the culture. And I genuinely appreciated everyone. And then when we had problems uh, where we weren't performing or somebody was out in the wrong job or the team was, you know, not getting along with each other, you know, I really, really struggled to figure out what to do. I went through the learning experience that most leaders do building an organization and added to the fact that we were a bootstrapped company, so we didn't have a lot of money to throw around. We couldn't hire Deloitte or somebody else to help us. In fact, we didn't even have an HR person. You know, we, we, we reached 70 or 80 people and we never had an HR person. It was me, the CFO, and a bunch of other people kind of figuring out how to manage things. And the other thing I learned that I still really believe is that the essential secret to management is finding each person's best job for them. Everybody is good and loves certain things. And every job has things in it you don't like. But if you can get as close as possible to making your role take advantage of your strengths, and sometimes that means you're in the wrong role or the role changes based on you, then all of a sudden things are like magic because you're being yourself and taking advantage of your own natural strengths and stretching yourself in a very positive way. And that's in many ways what I call the rise of the individual is making each job the right job for that person. And that means people move from job to job. And, and a lot of times it's called job crafting now where the job changes because of the individual. And that's good. Because if the individual's well-intended and understands what the company's trying to do, they're going to push the job in a direction that's better for the company and for them. Those are things that aren't written down in the job description It's like leadership is, uh, is matching talents, capabilities, and maybe even desires and interests to opportunities and projects. And Yeah, and being honest about the fact, like, if we want to do something new and we don't have people that are ready to do it, we get to scratch our heads and say, look, either we're not going to do this we're going to teach and empower some people to learn how to do it, or we're going to get some new people in, and we're going to have them teach us how to do it so we can learn how to do it. So so and as opposed to pushing people into roles they're not ready for, and oftentimes they fail, and that doesn't help anybody. The other thing I learned is that you have to try to build a culture and a reward system where every individual is incented to help somebody else inside the company. You can't be too focused on individual performance. A lot of companies, particularly investment banks and sales organizations, are very focused on individual metrics, individual goals, individual performance. That's good to a point, but it's not enough. Very few companies succeed with that kind of model for very long. Eventually, you reach the point where you need to incent people to help others, reward them for that, pay them for that, and build talent practices around that. Helping other people should be a value in itself, 
So when the person you help is successful, you don't feel bad about the fact you didn't get credit for it or whatever it may be. Cultures are, are, are odd that way. And I would give Deloitte a lot of credit along these lines. When I was at Deloitte, one of the things I, I picked up and learned at Deloitte, at Deloitte, everybody is part of the same business. Everybody's paid on the same numbers. You are absolutely expected and incented to help other people. And that means sometimes you'll spend half your day or a third of your day contributing to somebody else's projects on other programs with other people, but that's okay. Deloitte operates that way. That's part of the culture. At Deloitte, they call it followership, which is another way to think of it. If you're the type of person that helps other people, other people want to follow you, and that's another way of measuring performance. It seems like I've got the feeling that it, that maybe performance management software is kind of on the decline a little bit. And if so, what does its replacement look like? Or is there a replacement? Well, I don't think performance management software is going away, but I think we're in a struggling period to figure out what it should be. I, certainly, We certainly know that the tools from 10 years ago are not the right tools. The cascading goals, the traditional forms and so forth, the end of year um, gigantic things we had to do, those are gone. So we, we absolutely need something that's more agile and feedback and developmental in nature. Check-ins is one technique that seems to be working. I always thought that the best performance management tool would be a one-on-one -on -one tool that would facilitate lots and lots of conversations between people and their leaders and other people and would automate some of those conversations so they'd be easy and give you a, a way to align them towards the organizational's goals without forcing you to build too complex of a goal system. Now, some co companies really want a lot of goals, and they want to manage those goals carefully. And they are very tech companies are like this, sales organizations are like this, a lot of companies are like that. So that's still part of it too. But I think if I look at all the vendors out there, including you guys, we're in an upswing. I think we're in a world where the tools that people are buying now, actually they are using, they are getting value out of them, they are picking up speed, and the old ones are falling by the wayside. I think it's going to continue to evolve, though, because you know the user experience technologies, chat, uh, AI-based suggestions, hints. I mean, I could see a performance management system that automatically collects feedback for you and I know technologies that do that, and then gives you nudges on how you could be a better leader or a better employee. I mean, we're not that far away from software doing that. There's people working on it. So I'm going to ask you an obligatory question because um, I work for a recognition company. Do you believe that employee recognition technology plays a role in an engaging workplace culture? And why or why not? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm Like I said earlier, recognizing people is a great management technique anyway, as a, as a manager. And the tools create so much more dynamic sort of micro-recognition that you wouldn't necessarily do. You, you're not going to say thank you to somebody 25 times every time they do some little thing that you like. But with a recognition, social recognition system or whatever we call it, appreciation system, lots and lots of people and things can be recognized in ways that wouldn't necessarily be done face-to-face. -face. So I think it's hugely powerful. People get a total kick out of it giving it and receiving it. We did studies on this. We did a big research study on this in 2009, I think. And we saw, you know, huge improvements in retention and engagement amongst the companies that had this kind of technology. And the technology's came, come a long way since then. I think the problem with work, we all go to work to contribute. We get paid. 
But money doesn't really do that much. It's, you know, there's a diminishing return to money. I mean, I've gotten lots of bonuses in my career. I really don't remember most of them and what they were for. But I do remember the times people genuinely appreciated what I did at a human level, even now. And I think it has a, it's a huge driver of human behavior. I mentioned this in the talk I just gave earlier. There's been studies that have done that show that when you say thank you to someone, you as the giver of thank you create oxytocin in your system, and the receiver of thank you also creates oxytocin, which is called the trust hormone, and it makes you feel good. So there's something about human nature that this is a natural a natural behavior. So the more we can automate it and make it fun and easy and um, improve the culture in this way, I think the better for companies. <laughs> what, if anything, don't recognition companies get? Well, I think there's a lot of recognition software that was built by engineers because it's a cool feature. And they don't really think about the human side of it as much. And I think the companies that build that usually find out it's not being used much, and then they become more and more savvy about the real human aspects of it, which you guys have done for a long time. So, so I think there is a, you know, it's kind of like the like button on Facebook or, you know, whatever it is on Yelp, you know, all these little... We can have like buttons on everything, right? We've got like, like buttons on every email you ever get. I like that email. I don't like that email. I like that, that project plan. I don't like that project plan. There's some value to that, but I think we've got to go a little further than that. So I think the software vendors that are building all these nice technologies need to think about how they're going to actually affect human behavior and what can they do to make them developmental in nature. You guys have been down that path. Some of the more sophisticated engagement and, and uh, social recognition companies have. I think a lot of the new ones probably just haven't thought about it enough yet. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we break down big ideas into bite-sized pieces you can take with you and implement in your workplace culture. The first is that if you're looking to add a new tool or technology for recognition, training, what have you, make sure it's easy to integrate into your existing workflow. If it can't be used within the systems people are already using to do their work, it won't be adopted, and you won't get the workplace culture you've been dreaming of. The second is to worry less about what people are saying in their annual surveys and more about what they're saying day to day. People's daily, weekly, project-based experiences are a much better barometer. The new world, according to Josh Burson, is poll surveys, check-ins, and more frequent conversations, where you're capturing information about employees' feelings and opinions in the moment instead of just once a year. The third is that I'm feeling a little low on oxytocin. Aren't you? I think it's time for a few thank yous to get my levels back up. Chris, are you still here? Can you get back on mic? Hi, Andrew. I just wanted to say thank you for your fantastic work interviewing Josh Burson and all the other experts you interviewed for this podcast. Well, it's been fun. And thank you for doing a great job hosting and having a fine beard and just being you. It feels good saying thank you, doesn't it? Yeah. Thank you again. Thanks. Thanks. Th thank you. No, thank you. Thank, thank you. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Workplace on Stitcher. It really helps us grow and better understand our listeners. The Workplace is sponsored by O.C. Tanner, the global leader in employee recognition. O.C. Tanner helps thousands of top companies create engaging cultures where people can accomplish and appreciate great work. 
25 of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for using OC Tanner Recognition Solution. Learn how to influence greatness in your organization at octanner.com.